0: we got right to the bottom of the page two lines up from the bottom and the gemara tells us like this the gemara tells us that if you have a the Mishnah had really taught like this the mission had taught us that if you have this this ditch and you fill up that ditch with um with um earth or with pebbles then, when you fill up that ditch in between the two courtyards, we now consider the two courtyards as if they, since they have this uh, ability to traverse from one to the other, now you can make one era for both courtyards. And the Mishnah sounds like, as long as you fill it, that's enough. As long as you fill it with the dirt or the pebbles. You want to ask the question on that. mile If you filled it with earth, the implication of the Gemara is that even if you just filled it with, with the earth or pebbles, without any indication that you have an intention. To leave it here permanently that's already sufficient. The Gemara asks a question that we have a Mishnah elsewhere in right? Ahleus. this Ahalos deals with laws of tents. The specific case over there is like this. When you have a dead body in a house, right, so the house itself be- becomes an ohel, it becomes a tent, and because you have an ohel, a tent over the dead body, and there is space between the dead body, which is tame, and the roof of the house, right, because most dead bodies don't go all the way up to the roof of the house, so the Toma is confined to the house. Now, if you would, <coughs> excuse me, if you would fill that house fully with rocks and pebbles and other, perhaps only Tame items, right? Only impure items. But what would happen is that the house, which created a tent to separate the, and do not allow the Toma to escape, if you filled that house fully with an item, it would no longer be a, a purposeful tent and it would no longer be able to keep the Toma from escaping. So, in that context, right, the mission of their teaches like this. We learned in Mishnah in Ahalais. If you have a house that you filled with either straw or pebbles, the case of there is pebbles, right? What to create a situation where those pebbles are going to affect the halachic status of that house, it has to be that the person, that the owner of the house says, I am leaving those pebbles there and I'm not going to move those pebbles away. Now, in our Mishnah, it did not sound like you need to actually speak out that you're leaving the pebbles there so as for the t- pebbles to become, to, um, to reduce the space of that ditch, right? But over there, by Allah, it sounds like you have to have in mind or even speak out that I'm leaving those pebbles there or else it's not going to reduce the space. Over there it says, but though, bit late in, if you actually null- nullify them to stay there, then great, light. Lay, lay, lay. but if you do not explicitly say, I am leaving these pebbles there on a permanent basis, indeed, they're not going to be considered to have really closed up the, the area. That that it's going over there. <laughs> so what's the difference? Why, when it comes to Shabbos questions of considering the stitch to be closed up by the fact that um, by the fact that it's filled with pebbles, do we say even if the owner never had intention to actually say, "I'm nullifying those pebbles, I'll never move them," it's already sufficient? But when it comes to a house, he actually has to have intention, or else it's not considered to be a permanent fixture of the house. Um, Rabuna says, Rabuna says the author of the Mishnayas of the uh, tractate Mishnah, known as Ahalos. Who is that author? His name is Rebiasi. And Rebiasi happens not to be the opinion of our Mishnah on Shabbos, right? There's no contradiction here, right? This is a, one of the interesting places and where we see this idea expressed, right? That not necessarily do we assume that Mishnayas in different places that are even a Mishnah without any author, right? Without any specific uh, attributed author that they have to actually um, uh, be reconciled together says that doesn't work because even if you wanted to make the make the argument that oh that must be the opinion of Rabbiasi because we know Rabyasi is the is the uh, unattributed author of um, of Ahalis, right? That's not going to fly because we actually have a more explicit opinion of Rabbiasi in which he says the opposite. Mm-hmm. If we'll be Rabiasi, we actually have heard the opposite from him. The Tanya we learned in Raisa. Rabbiasi Aymar If you have straw and you have no intention of removing that straw, it is like a scenario where it is earth that you had no intent one way or the other. And and, and therefore it's considered to be something that is uh, nullified and will not be moved. Let's say you have earth that you always intended to be moving that earth. It is like regular straw. Regular straw, we do not assume that you're going to leave there on a permanent basis. So if you have earth, and your intention is to actually move the earth, it takes on the same halakhic status as if it was straw without any intent one way or the other, in which case it is not fatal. It is not going to be considered nullified, because presumably you're going to move it. Hello, Mervasi. Mantana Eriven. Who is the author of in Eriven? Reviyesi. That's the author of Aramishnan Eriven. is really that, that Reviyesi who was just quoted in that Brisa as having expressed that the, the, uh, the fulcrum upon which this question really rises or falls. Is really the question of is there intent to move the item or not? If there is intent to move the item, assumption is it is now considered to be nullified. If there's no intent to move the item, the assumption is it is, I'm sorry, the opposite. Intent to move the item it is considered nullified. Sorry, intent to move the item it is considered not nullified. Intent to leave the item it is considered nullified. It's a different answer. You're asking me a question from the laws of impurity to the laws of Shabbos. You can't compare those two different types of laws. You, when it comes to the laws of Shabbos, you're trying to figure out what's considered to be butta, what's considered to be nullified vis-a-vis a Shabbos question is a completely different question. How do I know? Because when it comes to Shabbos, a purse, right? Your, your wallet is mukta, right? It's not allowed to be moved, right? Now, for, for Tuma purposes, it clearly would not be considered to be put here permanently, but still for Shabbos, it's considered to be stuck in this place, right? So Shabbos and Tuma are just completely different categories, you cannot compare. He says, you're going to ask me a question from a house onto a ditch. Ditches are made to be filled, right? Ditches are made to be filled, right? A house is meant to be filled. In other words, the normal state of being for a ditch is a ditch that is unfilled, and then a ditch which becomes filled. Right? That's normally where it goes. You know, um, you know, from entropy. Right? So it's I guess the opposite. But that's 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 the the progression for a ditch. For a house, the progression is not to go from unfilled house to filled house. Right? It's filled up to the ceiling. You know what I mean? So therefore, the assumption is that that is not going to be a sufficient method of nullification. Continue to analyze the Mishnah. It says, it says, if you have this ditch in between these two courtyards, and this ditch is four tfachim wide and ten tfachim deep, it's considered to be a separator, and those two courtyards cannot combine. However, if you stuck a plank on top of that ditch that's separating between the two courtyards, and the plank is four tfachim wide, that will then serve as your access point. And because it is four tfachim wide, it is significant enough to allow people to use it as their doorway. And indeed, then they can make one area for both courtyards, if they so so choose, or they can make one of separately. Now, This is only true if what you did is you took the, here's the two, the two um, courtyards and the, the ditch is in between my hands. And what do you do? You take the plank and you stuck it from one half to the other, the width wise, but let's say you stuck it this way. Right? So then as long as after you put your plank down, the opening is less than four, then you're good. Right? But if you did it on the lengthwise of the ditch, as long as it is even a tiny bit of, of width of the plank, it's already going to be sufficient to reduce the size of the opening from fourth fachum wide, which is significant, to less than fourth fachum, which is significant we also said in the mission that if you have these two balconies, right, that one is opposite the other, you can actually put a lay a plank down from one to the other, and then that will be considered to be uh, making an access point, and they can make one A roof together. Amarabh says, they have to be opposite each other. What's the case? That which we say that this one opposite the other one works, and this one that's not opposite the other one does not work and this one that is higher than that, right, that also does not work. When we talk about them being opposite each other on the same plane, we talk about them not being like this, right, not being, you know, one further north, one further south, and also one further up, one further down. That's only true if there's more than three T'vachim separating. If it's a very, very small difference, it's not really relevant to us with of it. There's not even three T'vachim in between those two um, balconies. We consider this to be a crooked gazustra. In other words, it is a gazustra that was put down by someone who's not great at laying concrete. And that's why it's a little bit off. But essentially, we look at it as if it's just one, one, uh, one balcony with a little bit, not, not not, put down in the easiest way. It's still something that people would actually use as one balcony. this continues, a similar type of case, like this. Mitvan sheveen You have a pile of straw, right? A, a hay, what do they call it? A haystack in between. Two, um, two courtyards. they each have to make their own their own air each courtyard has to be its own area. they cannot combine, they cannot make one air for both. However, each members of the courtyard of these two separate courtyards each can feed their animals from the opposite sides of the Shra. Let's say the haystack is less than tenth fachum high. Then, if the haystack is less than 10 then they make one arab and they cannot even make two Ereuben because it is not two courtyards. Since so there's there's one courtyard, it does not have an actual wall separated. Amar <speaking in Hebrew> <speaking in Hebrew> Avuna says like this, when we talk about the fact that you could feed your animals on Shabbos from this haystack, you're not allowed to actually take from the straw on the haystack, stick it into your kupa, into your um, your basket, right, and then feed your animal directly from there. Why? Because there's an issue here of um, there is an issue, I think it's an issue, not of mukta. I think it's an issue of that you might come to, let me see, Rashi. Um, yeah, exactly, that's what Rashi says. Well, what's the issue with you taking this with your hand Feed it your animal. Just stick into the basket and feed your animal. This is not really a mukta issue, right? The, the, and my first thought was mukta, but it didn't work out because if it's mukta, then you wouldn't have to say that you can't stick it into your basket and then feed it to your animal. Just say so you can't move it at all, right? So what we're really referring to is like this. The concern is that because you have this uh, divider in between these two courtyards, right? So, so Wayne and Gershon have live in. They're both residents of courtyards, and in between their two courtyards is a haystack, right? So now, if Wayne starts feeding his dog, hey, first of all, his dog probably won't be so happy with him. But also what's going to happen is that haystack might get less than 10 And then Gershon might not know that it's less than 10 And he might still carry in his courtyard without realizing that now he actually has to make an a-roof, right? Because now they're no longer two separate courtyards. So up until now, they were able to to live their own individual lives, so they didn't have to care about each other, right? They had this partition between them, right? But now that that partition has come down, they don't even know yet, right? If they knew, it wouldn't be an issue. But now that partition came down without their knowing, so now what's going to happen is they're going to be really residents of one fel- one courtyard. And since the residents of one courtyard, they're going to have to make an roof. They're not going to realize that, and therefore they will come to violate the prohibition of carrying without an irif. The Gemara says, um, and is it indeed permitted? Is it indeed permitted to bring your animal here to eat, right? The the um, You're allowed to bring your animal right next to something which is forbidden on a Torah level for you to pick up on Shabbos. In other words, you have your animal and your animal needs to graze. You're allowed to bring your animal to graze from, from grass on Shabbos. There's no concern that you're going to forget it Shabbos and, and rip some grass out of the ground. Why? Because it's forbidden on a Torah level. Therefore, we are not concerned that you're going to come to it. However, you're not allowed to st- Stand your animal up next to something which is actually on Shabbos and does not involve any Torah prohibitions. Why? Because since, since if you it involves a, a um, only a rabbinic prohibition, you might think come to forget it and actually violate that by moving it yourself. So the Gemara is asking, so how could you possibly be allowed to to set your animal up right in front of this uh, haystack? You wouldn't be allowed to move it yourself because then you might come to cause the the straw to go less than ten tefachim high. So you also should not be allowed to be complicit in your animal eating from it then. My answer, the, My answer is you don't actually uh, like sort of um, direct your animal, like putting your arm on the animal and getting it to eat right from that haystack. You put yourself in front of the animal in a way that the animal is going to end up um, eating from the haystack, but not, not in a very direct fashion. Are you crossing feet from the haystack? It says, as long as you don't put um, straw into um, your basket. A house in between two courtyards. And the house is full of straw. Then they make, one, they make two separate eruvan, but they can't make one eruv. Why? Because the straw that is filling up that house is considered to be a divider. Over there, We say that Wayne, who is living in his courtyard on one side of this house, is allowed to take straw out of the house and feed his animal. And Gershon, living in the courtyard on the other side of the house, allowed to take straw out of the house and keep his amino, right, without going into the house. Um, if the straw, if the haystack is, is reduced to less than ten, both of them are forbidden. So what should they do in that scenario, right, because since what happens like this, since on Shabbos, they now become considered to be residents of one courtyard, so now they're going to need an eruv, right. So, what should they do if they want to be able to carry? So, one of them should lock his door. In other words, and he's going to renounce his rights to carry in that courtyard. So, if Wayne is going to renounce his rights, then Gershon will be permitted to carry. Who else? Then Wayne is going to be forbidden to carry, and Gershon will be permitted. And so, to we talk about a case where you have a um, uh, a pit of straw, right? So, based in between two Shabbos limits. In other words, so Wayne's Tchum ends, uh, you know, El Camino right by the McLaren. And Gershon's Tchum ends El Camino right by the McLaren, but on the other side of the McLaren. Now, in that McLaren dealership, instead of it being McLaren, it is filled with something far more valuable, which is that it is a ditch that is full of straw. Okay? So now, each of their Tchum ends right at that pit. And look, it's like this. The, the, um, the Wayne is allowed to take the straw that's on his side of the line, and Gershon not allowed to take the straw that's on his side of the line. We see, over there, we see over there that they are allowed to take that straw and put it into the basket and then feed to their animal. So why is Ravuna convinced that in our Mishnah's case of this uh haystack in between the two courtyards, you're not permitted to take from the straw and put it into your basket? Amri, so he answers, Bias the ikka, vitikra, a house since it has walls and a tikra and a roof, milsa. If it if you took from the measure of straw within it, to make it less than 10 spacham high, it's going to be obvious what you did. milsa. <laughs> what we're most talking about here is the, the idea of a uh, relative um, or proportions, right? So essentially like this, when you are taking from a haystack that is up against the sky, it's a lot harder to discern that you have now reduced it to less than 10 spacham tall. When you're taking from an item inside a house and you get a sense of scale, right? You know your house is seven feet and 11 inches ceiling, right? So as you take from the straw, you're going to recognize as soon as it gets to too low of a height, and then you will no longer carry. So therefore, you're allowed to take it in the first place. But when it comes to taking from the open field where there's only sky above it, we, Chazal made it takana. They made an enactment that you can't take at all, out of a concern that you will not recognize when it gets to be less than ten tefachim He Said if the if the straw is less than ten tefachim high, then both of them are now forbidden. Sorry, it sounds like then if the if the straw was ten tefachim high, they still be allowed to, to carry in each of their own individual courtyards. The implication is that even though the roof in this scenario is really far higher than 10th Fahim, as long as the actual pile of straw is 10th Fahim up, that's already sufficient. So we had this Machlakis earlier, right, about uh, about a week ago, that uh, they had this big Machlakis, exactly how tall the ceiling has to, the, sorry, the roof has to be inside of a house to redefine the space of the house is completely separate regions. We see from here that as long as it gets the tenth fachim high, even if it doesn't reach the roof of the house, and this seems to be getting up against the machlekas that we mentioned earlier, but doesn't seem to be nobody seems to be mentioning this proof from the Mishnah. We're talking about a specific scenario where the house is 13th 13, um, 13 fachim tall minus a little bit. So therefore, what? So as long as the straw root, the straw wall is tenth fachim high. So from the top of the straw, uh, top of the straw. Um, Wall, until the ceiling, you're going to have less than three tzvachim, and therefore it's loved, and therefore everybody would agree that it's considered to be roofed in fully, and there's no proof from here to any other cross. The teven has sara, and the straw is ten tzvachim high. He says, about the house where is ten tzvachim high, in total, the house? The tevin, shiva, and mashu, and the straw wall is actually only seven tzvachim and a tiny bit he says you don't even have to wait until the, the straw actually has become a significant height of 10 tfachim. if the house itself is only 10 in total then even if the straw is less than 10 total but if the straw plus the love it is 10 fachim, you're good to go according to Bayou, says that the actual wall has to be 10 high, then that's why it says from 10 why does that have to say from 10? it's not actually from 10 according to Buna. Right? It's actually even just up to seven and a tiny bit, and you're already good. It doesn't mean that it has to be, that, that it actually is 10. It means that it has something in the categories within dealing with asara, dealing with 10, i.e. it is seven plus, and then plus the love it, gets to 10. We said that if the wall gets the smite, it gets reduced on Shabbos, they're both forbidden to carry in their own individual courtyards. We see from here. We see from here that if you have people coming back to their courtyards on Shabbos who did not join in with the area before Shabbos, they're going to prohibit the members of the courtyard from carrying. My answer is Dilma Mal. There's no real proof from here to that earlier question. Because maybe what happened over here is the, the straw heap was actually reduced before Shabbos began. So it's not a proof from here as to what's the halacha when the residents come back to their courtyard on Shabbos. Are they going to prohibit the earlier residents who made the river or not? There's no proof over here. Maybe indeed it did get reduced before Shabbos. What is he supposed to do? The Mishnah tells us. He closes his door, he locks his door, and then he gives up his rights to the courtyard. Where says, one second, you don't need to do both. Either lock your door or give up the rights. If you're going to lock your door, you don't need to give up your rights because you can't get out. And if you're not, if you're going to renounce your rights, even if you don't lock your door, it's still permitted. One or the other is sufficient. It's not the need to do both. same Another answer. Another possibility is perhaps you even need to do both. Why? the bay, What's going to happen? Because since it's something that you're very regular, you're very used to doing, you might then come to carry. So it's not halachically necessary for you to actually do both of these conditions for you to give up your rights in the courtyard. However, because it's very likely for you to forget and end up carrying, we don't want you to do that. So we said, kind of make yourself a simid, kind of make yourself a sign that you shouldn't do this. You lock the door and lock the door. Plus renouncing together, now you're very unlikely to end up carrying on Shabbos into the courtyard. Who In that scenario, renounces rights. He's forbidden to carry in the courtyard they are permitted. This is obvious. You might have thought to say that maybe the, what happens like this. Wayne and Gershon are living in that courtyard again. The wall gets dismayed Wayne gives up his rights to the courtyard. He's forbidden and Gershon's mother. Now, let's say uh, that seems obvious, right? So what's the Chedish? The Chedish is like this. Let's say um, Gershon says, you know what, Wayne, I'm renouncing my rights. right? And let's switch back. Right, and the mission was trying to teach us that you cannot do that. Right, if, if Wayne gave up his rights, then for Gershon, the Gershon giving up his rights later is not going to change anything at all, and it's not going to permit Wayne to carry. And that's what the mission was teaching us is that this once they make the scenario where one of them renounces his rights, that is as we say in Yiddish, that dos blight, right? It's going to stay like that until the end of Shabbos, nothing's going to change. And we also found. This this halacha when it comes to this uh, pit in between the two chumim of Shabbos, right, the two people whose Shabbos limits ended right at this pit from opposite directions, She This is obvious, right? That well, why shouldn't it be considered to be something they think you both take out of there? Leitzurichal the Gemara says it's only necessary. Le- Reb it's only necessary opinion of The because he says chuman deraisa. He says that chuman right, the Shabbos limits are actually a, a, a problem on a Torah level. What might I have thought to say? Might have thought to say like this. So the says that indeed is forbidden on a Torah level. Would say like this. So Wayne's tuchum, that ends by the McLaren Courtyard, right? The, not McLaren Courtyard, but the McLaren, uh, you know, on the corner of El Camino. And Gershon's home that ends over there. You might have said that both Wayne and Gershon should not be taken from the straw within this pit. Why? Because if, if they end up by mistake, they might end up taking from the straw on, the, on the, right on that other side of the line, they'll be violating something on a Torah level. It's going to retiva. Even 2000 Amos is a prohibition on a Torah level to, to travel outside of that. So if they end up taking something from past that line, they're in deep trouble, right? If they end up walking past the line, they're in deep trouble. So maybe over there, we should indeed be geyser. We should make a decree so as to ensure that nobody makes these mistakes. And the answer is we are not concerned for that. New Mishnah, right? A little bit out of order over here, right? All of a sudden, now we start talking about what sheet of Mavayas is when we've been talking about it for a while now. But here's where the Mishnah comes out. Esach, um, right? So just to speak out what it is again. So sheetuf is a similar idea to the Aravin idea that the, the different individuals who are residents of this alleyway coming together and, and pooling their foodstuffs, they are redefining that they all have. Um, they all own a specific thing together and now it's considered like one ownership as opposed to many different ownerships and takes care of the rabbinic issue that it has the appearance of a public domain. What do they do? They leave a barrel full of uh, whatever sort of items within that barrel and that's going to work to redefine it as being their joint area. And then what do they say? This is for all the members of the alleyway. Now let's say one person, let's say Ural takes his, his nice, uh, not, not a full barrel, but whatever he has of his delicious um Riesling that should be ready in about six months and I have, have it on good authority it's gonna be extra delicious this year and he says all of the residents of the Shtetl are all now going to be um are all now gonna have rights to this Riesling and and they're all will now have rights to carry in this in the in the um, in the alleyway and now the residents are not there. How does he give up a uh, some sort of ownership rights within that reasoning. So what he does is he takes his oldest, uh, not oldest, he takes a son or a daughter who is a gadol, who is an adult, and he says you should acquire this for, on on behalf of the other individuals who live in the city. Or using a Jewish or a Jewish maid or a Jewish servant, because they have their own ownership rights. By the Ishtai or with his wife, who has their own rights, their own uh, has their own ability to acquire. However, they cannot. he cannot say, you know what, I give it to my child who is under the age of 13, a girl under the age of 12. He cannot say, I'm giving it to you and you should acquire it on behalf of the other individuals in the alleyway. Why? Because they had no ability to acquire before they reach that age. Or not with a non Jewish maidservant or a non Jewish um, servant. Why? Because their hand is not considered to be a separate hand, so to speak. Right? Whatever they acquire is considered to really be an extension of his hand. So if he says, I want you to acquire this on behalf of someone else, it only works if they have the ability to acquire for themselves. They can acquire for someone else. They can't acquire for themselves because they are not considered to be a discrete unit from that homeowner. Um, if you have the barrel of the sheet of you have to lift it off of the ground one tefach. Amar says there were two things that the elders of pumpadisa taught us. Right? What did they say? One is the halacha that we just said that you have to lift the one tefach off the ground. Very important halacha, by the way that if you make a kiddush on Friday night, Shabbos day, Yom Tif, whenever you're making kiddush, you have to drink one malay lugmav, a cheekful of wine or grape juice. And if you do not drink a cheekful, then you're not have not fulfilled your mitzvah. There's a, there's a question, can you have someone else you be designated the person and perhaps the Diavet, it does work. But Lichat chila, ideally, whoever makes kiddush should always drink at least the malay lugmav of that, of the, um, of the cup, which is a reiv revius, right? So about 2.2 ounces. Um, not not that much um Shabbos day, by the way technically you could get away with with you know more than one person combining to drink that but friday night one person ideally should be the one to drink um mali lugmav or for Havdallah as well amra Chaviva, Chaviva says there is another thing that the, the people of Pompadisa, the, the elders of Pompadisa taught the amra of yhudam Shmuel, he says name if you have a woman who is in the process of giving birth, who has just given birth, right? You're allowed to make a, a bonfire for her on Shabbos, right? How can you do that? It's, it, it, you know, being, being a mechal Shabbos, obviously because she is currently in St. of the to say, implication is only for someone who is literally in the throes of giving birth or, you know, in that stage right after birth when they're considered to be, you know, heavily at risk. Only for that kind of person, you're allowed to make a fire to heat them up on Shabbos. But for a regular sick person, you're not allowed to. And also, maybe, in, maybe only in the rainy season you're permitted to make a fire because it's too cold for them otherwise. But if it was during the summer season, maybe you're not permitted to. It marked, but it was stated. And if someone has been bled, right, they, they have bloodletting. They take a lot of blood when they would bloodlet in those days. And they're getting cold, right? Their, their circulation system's not working properly. They don't have enough blood right now. Madura. With Shabbos, you make a bonfire for them on Shabbos. I feel about to give us Thomas, and even if it's the middle of the hottest time of the year, Thomas, right? So, we see from here that if someone is sick, you make a fire for them. Don't make a mistake. Don't think that is only for someone who's actually in labor. If someone is sick and they need to be heated up, you make a fire for them, right? And this is indeed something that we have today, right? That when it comes to um, uh, people who are considered to be sick without without heat, then you are, you are permitted, you know, ideally, obviously, you should ask a, a non Jew to, you know, to, to, to adjust your thermostat. You know, today we're not talking about actually making fires. But under certain circumstances, it would even be permitted to light a fire yourself, assuming that there's actual, you know, any, any sort of level of You know One more statement. Let's read this one more. Itmar because it was stated. How do you, what do you define when you say the, the Torah keeps on talking about these Asherah trees, right? How do you know it's an Asherah tree? It's just a tree. How do you know what's an ashera tree? Amarab. Sheh. Any tree that you have, the people who serve the they are standing near it. And it's clearly that they are standing near this tree as a, to safeguard it. So that, by definition, becomes a tree that is called an Asherah tree. And and they don't eat from its fruits. That indicates that they actually believe this is some sort of Or if they say, these are reserved, right, that this is the name of Nitzrafi, was the name of De Zara, apparently. And the Zara, apparently. And in that, as she says, in that country. So if they say these these um, uh, dates are reserved for the mead of the Nitzrafi, then that's also an indication that this is a tree, which is really an tree. The Shasuleh became Chagam. Why? Because they really drink it on, the, on their, what's the name? They drink it on their holiday.